Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. And so I'm convinced, as our online folks are coming back in, that there's this tiny little corner, like for many of us, heaven probably looks a little bit like this. It's got the bombastic organ and we're singing big hymns like all creatures of our God and King or a mighty fortress is our God, stuff like that. And I'm convinced that somewhere in heaven is there, there's a little brew pub somewhere where we're getting Marcus, Marcus Mumford and his band playing, doing a little bit of banjo worship and we just get to rock out there. I'm looking forward to that very, very much. That song to me feels like it could fit right in the middle of a worship service. I love that song. Now, I got to start with a little context. I need you, I need you to know that the, the idea for this sermon, I've been listening to this song for a long time, but the idea for this sermon was born in a sheep pen. All right, that's where I started writing this. All right, so if it smells a little funny, it's because sheep smell a little funny. And if it's a little off, it's because sheep are a little off. But nevertheless, that is my context as I came to this song. And, I, and I, as I was sitting in a sheep pen, I was struck by this interesting dichotomy that is the Maryland State Fair. And I don't want to bore you with State Fair stuff, but hear out my experience for a second. That when I'm headed down to Timonium, I go either one of two ways. If I can come from home, I'm going down 140, okay, you know, and no big deal. You kind of catch the beltway or you can wind through horse country. There's two different ways. All right, but that's how, you can either go that way from Westminster or frankly, more often, I got to head over to Limebro because I got to feed before I go down, all right, and so I head out down Church Street, down Falls Road, onto Mount Carmel, onto 83. That's how I get down there. And eventually, whichever way I take, it sort of merges, and then you finally get off uh, at the Padonia Road exit. And you get off at Padonia Road, you make your turn into Timonium, and all of a sudden, you are in quintessential suburbia. Look, on one side, you are in the middle of insurance companies, chain restaurants, shopping centers, condos, and all of it. This is the suburbia that our ancestors dreamed of. And in the middle of it all, in the middle of this bustling suburban reality, is a fairgrounds. Timonium is bizarre, y'all. It just is. And you see the fairgrounds, and you're like, okay, that's there. You drive a little bit farther, there's a racetrack? What are we even doing here? And for one, for, a, for one season of the year, for a couple of weekends, rural Maryland descends upon suburban Maryland. And this is what I was thinking about. I'm like, I am here with, a, and as I'm sitting there, I'm looking at a row of trucks and trailers. Okay, all trucks bigger than mine. Y'all can laugh at how small my truck is. All trucks bigger than mine, these trailers that go a mile long, they're all behind the barn while it's the electronic vehicles, the Priuses are all out in the parking lot. And you're just like, this is so weird. This is so, this is, what am I doing with all my farming buddies here in Timonium doing what it is that we do? Why did I drag my pigs to a fairgrounds right across from a AAA office? But here we are. And over the next couple weeks, the exhibitors that are there will play out a year of hard work, a year of farm hard work in a most unlikely place. I thought about that as I was thinking about this final song today, because this is not unlike the life we are called to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, yes? 
And we've walked through this. Jimi Hendrix introduced us subtly to the idea of Babylon, that there is a world, there are powers and principalities that are at work in the world. And the thieves and the jokers say, we're supposed, there, there's a different way we got to get out of here. The editors, as we walk through their song, said, you know what, Babylon's not just out there, Babylon is also in here. There's stuff going on in me that God has got to sort out. You too introduced us through Gloria. We're speaking a whole new language. We're in a whole new place. This is foreign territory for us. It's not as easy as it sounds. And last week we gathered around the baptismal font with the doves and says, yeah, there are, there are two rivers. There's this river, Babylon will sweep us away, but there's also this river that we exemplify in baptism that will sweep us to new life. How do we get there? And so in, in Christ, the kingdom of God is coming, y'all. And we who have committed ourselves to that kingdom are called to live a peculiar life. The church is not here to augment sort of a normal, everyday, sort of, you know, middle-class suburban life. No, to follow after Jesus and to live into the kingdom is to live a peculiar life. But how do we do that life? In the midst of Babylon, What does a life shaped by kingdom realities, priorities, and values even look like? When there's lots of ways of doing it. Every Sunday, there are buggies that drive past this particular church who have have answered that question, how do we live in Babylon in a peculiar way? Our friends have sort of pulled out of it all. There are others who say there's no dichotomy at all, that this, this nation is supposed to be the, exempl- the exemplar of what it means to be Christian. There are so many different answers to this. But we have to answer the question. And it's even more personal. Like, how do we worship here on a Sunday and go to work on a Monday? You've all felt that, right? How do we manage the dichotomy of doing morning prayer in the presence of God and then doing the morning commute, which often feels very much not like the presence of God, if you take my meaning? What do those first steps away from Babylon look like, and how do we do them? Well, if Marcus Mumford is to be believed, the journey towards a kingdom life starts not in victory. It starts in exhaustion. He says, coming home, falling like a stone into the arms of one who loves us. And yes, if you heard in this song sort of a love song, yeah, but I'll tell you, most of the best love songs can be used as worship songs anyway. Yes, I fell heavy into your arms. He falls into the arms of God. Not victorious, but worn out. You see, friends, we don't set out looking for a new life because we love the one we've got. We don't go looking for change because everything is in its proper place and everything is good. No, we set out because there is a deep sense of dissatisfaction. It could be dissatisfaction with the world. It could be dissatisfaction with ourselves, with things that have happened, whatever. But we only set out on that path because where we are concerns us. That was Jimi Hendrix. He says, the jokers, we got to get out of here. This ends poorly. And the journey out of Babylon finds us slumping into God's arms. And in this first verse, we hear the echoes of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son didn't come home rejoicing. The prodigal son came home weary and worn out and poor and done. And so it often is with us coming home with disappointment, disgust, little to offer. And yet, friends, we are caught. Those arms that catch the singer 
aren't arms that say, well, tell me what you've done for me or tell you how you're going to fix your life. No, no, no. Those arms just go ahead and catch us. And they offer us a promise. These days of dust, which we've known, this dryness, this nothingness, these days of dust, which we know, will blow away with this new sun. There's a new day coming. Yes, we're exhausted. Yes, we're tired. But there's a new day coming. But it's going to take time. They are coming. They are not yet here yet. And in that moment, this exhausted moment, we're in a no position to fly into a new way of being. We've got no energy to figure it all out on our own. We've got, we've got nothing inside of us. We haven't been developed to fly into, hey, I'm ready to go. And so the only prayer the singer can muster is, I'll kneel down and wait for now. He's slumped into the arms. He's halfway to the ground already. I'll kneel down, wait for now. Waiting, stillness. One might say, prayer. In the face of Babylon and in our hearts, the response to leaving Babylon and the first step of new life is always stillness and a return to prayer. Why? The other thing I was doing in that sheep pen is reading a new book just came out by an author, Derek Vreeland. I met Derek a couple of times. Good guy. And he writes this. He says, we become like that which we behold. We become like that which we behold. We grow into the image we gaze on. We are formed into the person we focus on. In this, he's right. Whatever we keep in front of us is kind of what we become. And we see this in kids, right? Like we ask kids all the time, who's your hero? It's not just who do you admire. It, that tells us something about who that child envisions themselves to be. We become the thing that we put in front of us. And if we have lived a lifetime in Babylon, which we have, gazing upon their gods, living according to their virtues, living according to their patterns, living life shaped by those patterns, it's going to take time for us to consider a new way of being. Which is why the only response is, I will wait for you. I will wait for you. Rolling Stone criticized the song, said it's too repetitive. I would say that this repetition is exactly what is needed to get our feet grounded. I will wait. I will wait. I will wait. And that's the first step away from Babylon. Why? Because Babylon says, don't wait, do. Go. Fix something. Figure it out. And when we kneel in prayer, we say, well, am I doing anything? Is anything happening? And... and that impulse, that's old Babylon still in us. Those are the virtues and values of Babylon. Babylon says you only have value as you do. But friends, in the kingdom of God, waiting doesn't mean that nothing is happening. Waiting doesn't mean laziness. Waiting doesn't mean, you know, just kind of, you know, it, does, it, it doesn't mean that. In, in the kingdom of God, waiting doesn't make us any less. And I love an image from another pastor. You're tired of me quoting him by now. But nevertheless, Eugene Peterson writes, Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. And somewhat visually, he says, We are enlarged in the waiting. All my, pray, all my mamas who have been pregnant say, Amen. Waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. 
What waiting in the kingdom of God means is to open ourselves to something new, to fix our eyes on something different other than what Babylon would have us fix our eyes on. Waiting means to fix our gaze upon Jesus and to make Jesus the center of our consideration, the way that we sort of evaluate and think about our lives. Because the kingdom of God, friends, is not just another set of morals or principles. Babylon has no problem with morals and principles. They say, take whatever you want. Whatever system you choose, go for it. It's only Christianity that says, we're not wrapping our arms around a set of morals or principles. We're wrapping our arms around a person. And that is a person that we call Jesus. And the only way to get access to Jesus, the only way for us to start being formed in the way of Jesus is to spend time with him. We can't memorize the morals and the principles. No, we have to spend time with Jesus. And there are many ways to do that, of course. And this is not a sermon on worship or spiritual formation. But time with Christ must be at the center of this peculiar life we are called to live in the midst of Babylon. And just like all the farmers right now down at State Fair are putting on their manure boots in the middle of Timonium, so we put on our Jesus Christ in the midst of the Babylon that is all around us. Because friends, hear me clearly when I say this. There is no movement of God. There is no actual revival. There is no outpouring of the Spirit. There is no life change in the world that does not have at its core a people praying and seeking the very face of Christ. And this is exactly what the psalmist says. He wasn't writing about Jesus, but Jesus is all over this passage in the Psalms. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. The heart knows what it needs. It needs, seek the face of God. He says, your face, Lord, do I seek. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. And if we adopt this posture, if we are willing to wait, Jesus starts doing some stuff in our lives. Again, our intuition is for God to start building. But the prayer that Marcus Mumford offers us is a different one. Break my step and relent. You forgave and I won't forget. But break my step is not what most of us would want to pray. And maybe it's not what we had in mind. What does it mean, break the step? What means disrupt my rhythms, interrupt my gait. I tell my family this all the time, like... I said, I I like going on long walks because I can finally get into my rhythm. I got long legs, houses, and offices and all that all feel really small to me. I want to get into a gate I want to go. And what this prayer is saying is break that gate, break those rhythms. In other words, break me down because there are practices and rhythms that got to go so I can get other ones in. So the first step out of Babylon is to get broken down. We say, really? Well, yes. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus comes to Zacchaeus, who is not only steeped in Roman culture, Babylonian culture, he's he's the exemplar of it. He is the chief tax collector, and he's rich. The only thing he doesn't have going for him is he's short. And I say, I only point that out because the Bible points it out. This is not a shot at short. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but the Bible says he's really small, so he can't see Jesus. In every other way, he is Babylonian through and through. But he's fascinated by Jesus. He wants to catch a glimpse. 
And Jesus catches his eye and invites him to do what? What does Jesus invite Zacchaeus to do? We're going to your house. We're going to your house. We're going to hang out. And he goes in and he eats with him. What does Jesus do? Jesus invites Zacchaeus into intimacy and quiet. Doesn't scream at him, give the money back. He invites him to fix his gaze on Jesus. And what happens from that? You know the story. Zacchaeus says, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. What does it look like for God to break our step? Here, Jesus breaks Zacchaeus' step. It's a broken step, but not to our diminishment, but to our glory. It's not just a moral action. He didn't just make a demand of Zacchaeus. You better give it all back or you're going to hell. That's not what he says. He invites Zacchaeus to see the world in a new way, and Zacchaeus' eyes are opened, and now he sees the world through compassion and through abundance and through love, where before he saw it in competition and mine, not yours, and how do I take? That's a broken step because he spent time with Jesus. Zacchaeus turns in his Babylon citizenship card to pick up his kingdom of God card, and it spills out into the world. And that is what makes Marcus Mumford's prayer so powerful. Break my step and relent. Don't break me too hard, God. And God is merciful. God is compassionate. He will not call you into more than you are ready for. You forgave and I won't forget. And this prayer is so mature because the prayer, and we're invited into this, is to ask for it. Break my step. There are things in me I can't fix by myself. There are things in me I can't, I can't make right. God, you're going to have to come in from the outside and make it better. Christianity is not self-improvement. Christianity is God coming into our lives and rearranging everything. Break my step. Break me down. Break my rhythms. Break my thought patterns. Teach me new ways, stumbling step by stumbling step. Shake the, exi- the excess in my life so that I am slimmed down and ready to do what you have called me to do. As Paul describes We believe Paul wrote it in Hebrews. He writes, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. Throw it all off. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. From weariness into discipline... We finally arrive, and we won't spend as much time here, but suddenly that waiting and that discipline turns into confidence. It becomes a compelling life, more a part of who we are. You heard in that second time the chorus went, it was, I will wait. There, there's, there's some movement, there's some growth, and so there's a confidence that God is doing something good, but it starts with a total lack of confidence. But he's moving into a journey, and now he's starting to say, I will wait. It's no longer sung with shy uncertainty, but with bolder confidence. And now we see the kingdom in, the, in this song starting to fill each and every one of us. And then finally, the man who slumped home at the beginning of the song takes on a very different tone at the end. So I'll be bold as well as strong. Discipline has led to passion and to conviction. What is passion, healthy passion? It is conviction born from experience and change and a vision for what yet may come. 
You see, friends, real passion in our lives comes not from sort of our emotions. It comes from our discipline. What we discipline ourselves to do, ultimately we will be passionate about. And here, he sings with passion about boldness and strength. Yes, words that Babylon uses also, but which take on a completely different meaning in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so friends, hear me when I say we can, as people of God, engage the world with boldness and strength, but it looks different. Yes, it's the boldness of our convictions, but they're steeped in humility and compassion and and empathy. And we can can go into the world in strength, but that strength is always sort of... It's always packaged in gentleness and meekness. Boldness and strength are real for us, but not in the ways of Babylon. We do it differently. Tame my flesh, reduce sort of these things that rise up in me. And Paul talks about this all the time, getting rid of the flesh, putting off the old man so that we can put on the new one. Fix my eyes, keep my eyes fixed. We don't just need Jesus at the beginning, we need Jesus through the whole thing. Fix my eyes on Jesus. And then my favorite line in the whole song, a tethered mind freed from the lies. It's slightly paradoxical. How can anything that is tethered be free? Except true freedom always has an anchor. True freedom is always tied to something. It has a conviction. Freedom is not freedom to anything. Freedom is freedom to. We're free to do things. True freedom always has conviction and purpose, which means we reject other things. And with our flesh tamed, our impulses tamed, and our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfection of our faith, we can have a tethered mind, a right-thinking mind, as Paul says. Be renewed in the transforming of your mind, and we can live lives of conviction, in discipline and passion. And the psalmist understood this when it ended the psalm. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait. For the Lord. And echoing this, the writer, Paul writes to Titus and he says, he talks about being disciplined so that we might be a people zealous, passionate for good works. And it's these two things discipline and passion, weariness that leads to strength, discipline and passion that will allow us to live in the Babylons that we all head out to family, job, culture. We face Babylon everywhere. You're like, how can I do this? Well, you can. You're going to be all right. We can figure out a way to live in Timonium. We can figure out a way to do farm stuff in Timonium. We can figure out a way to live the life of Christ in this world, which seems out of control through discipline and passion. So let it begin in prayer. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us be renewed in our minds that the life of Jesus, which already is inside of us, might flower, might grow, might become the thing Jesus has always called us to be, as individuals, as a congregation, and as the whole kingdom of God spread throughout the world to go and live a completely different way, the life of Jesus Christ, and to leave Babylon behind. Amen. Amen.